The days are getting shorter, and you can feel it in the air. Yes, it's that time of year. Pumpkin is finally back at Dunkin'. It's the cozy you've been craving all summer long, now in your cup at Dunkin'. Pick up all of your pumpkin favorites, like the signature pumpkin spice iced latte, or a pumpkin iced coffee, and bakery items like pumpkin donuts and muffins. Sip into something comfortable to celebrate the start of cozy season. Use the Dunkin' app for contactless ordering. America runs on Dunkin'. Hello. Hey, y'all. Fake, <laughs> fake Pete today. Um, we uh, fake Pete. we had to fire Pete because he couldn't understand uh, why the rotation of the Earth caused the seasons, why the tilt of the axis uh, was causing seasons. So yeah, we, we challenged uh, Pete with a variety of uh, fundamental questions about the mathematical basis of the known universe, and he failed them all. And so yeah. we fired. Yeah, so he is extra fired now. Unfortunately yeah. for him, fortunately make, for make us. Burnt, cindered. Yeah. <laughs> fired. <laughs> fired. Ashen. Uh, yeah, so I was just talking about it's really weird that almost all of the planets are tilted on their axis somewhat. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's, there truly are seasons everywhere. Yeah, I didn't I know that. That's interesting. I um, I mean, obviously, I pretended I knew that when we fired Pete, but actually, I yeah. didn't know about that. Mm. Well, I can't fire you now because I I don't have enough material to just go off of my own uh, my own self for the rest of the episode. Be the, but... sound, be the sound of one hand clapping, wouldn't yeah. it? <laughs> the old one Very hand tired. clap. Can you? Can you? Here's a one hand clap. Are you ready for it? Yeah. Three, two, one. That's a one-hand clap. Oh yeah, snapping little, uh, little snaps. It's not as good as a proper clap. Let's be honest. No, it's not quite the same. Uh, it just doesn't it's have like, the same thing, you know. Like it's it's the sound of a penguin trying to shake your hand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's too it's too small. You can't reach. You know, he's reaching up, going hey, hey, and you're like, what's that weird noise? It's the sound of a penguin's one hand clapping. The sound of a penguin's one hand clapping. Have you seen that uh, Boris Johnson was handed an inflatable penis this morning? It doesn't surprise me. Today. I mean, it's all, that's the equivalent, really, of someone just giving him a mirror. Yeah. You know, but. Um, he was w- walking, uh, and then someone just handed it to him, like you would just hand it, you know, like just anything. And he just took it, like, oh, you know, like someone handing him a cup or something like that. And he yeah, held on for like one second, and then everybody around them realized what was going on, and they grabbed it real quick and like walked off. But it was great. funny. I, I mean, uh, to be to his credit, that he took it actually. It's interesting, isn't it? Because in the UK, someone's just like, boy, Boris, take this inflatable cup. And he's just like, yeah, sure. Whereas in the US, if you ran up to the the president with an inflatable penis, you'd probably be shot in the head, wouldn't you? Oh, easily, yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like, Donald, here's an inflatable cock. Even like our, like foreign presence places is really, really interesting. Like, I, uh, my one memory of like the short time I was in London was that there's just not a lot of like, heavy duty you know like 
even in New York, um, and I'm sure it's similar in D.C., like around major buildings and stuff like that, there are military, you know, there's soldiers, there's police officers. I like how I went with military and come up couldn't come up with personnel after that. But, uh, you know, even the police officers look like they're military personnel. They have, like, you know, visors yeah. on yeah. and... and Jet in yeah, like truly. A, there's like, yeah, there's a lot more of that presence now, definitely. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. Just like when I was there, it wasn't like that. Like this, this was, you know, almost ten years ago. But like the only oh, place that it was like that was outside of the U.S. embassy. Like even yeah. driving by like Ten Downing Street, there was just like a regular police officer out front, not like little Bobby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, a constable, <laughs> if you will. Not like, and then outside the U.S. Embassy, it was just like full-on SWAT team, like uh, massive. Yeah. Yeah, and they uh, have like security apparatus. Yeah, they have like fencing up and like um, mm-hmm. you know those sort of bollards construct so you can't drive a, a truck bomb, you know, sort of thing. Yep. Um, it's weird actually because when when you go into the U.S. Em- embassy, which I have done obviously a few times for visas, because uh-huh. of that atmosphere. It creates a very weird mindset, and then a bit like going through U.S. immigration, of course, but particularly in an embassy in your in the U.K., it's a weird one because you go in, and then of course when you get in there, everyone who works there is American, mm-hmm. so you genuinely do feel a bit like you've kind of gone into another country because of the level of like protection. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like a full-on like security, like police state, and then meanwhile yeah. you like walk by, you know, the Parliament Building, and it's like. You feel like if you went into the wrong place in the parliament building, they'd just be like, oh, uh, sorry, sir, that this isn't the right place. Yeah, I think you've wandered in the wrong spot. <laughs> yeah, because I think you just happened to have wandered into the um, – that actually happened to me once. I went to a friend's wedding, and it was in the Houses of Parliament and the chapel because her dad worked in the House of Lords as a clerk. You know, like mm-hmm. it wasn't anyone fancy. It's sort of a regular job. And that means he had the right – anyone's family member, if you work in the House of Parliament, you get married in the House of Commons. Mm-hmm. I mean in the chapel which is like there's a chapel there and it's like underground it's under one of the halls like it's an underground church literally it's very weird it's quite beautiful but um but we were like all just hanging out in one of these like main halls waiting for the sermon to begin and a few of us just went for a stroll and strolled into the commons chamber i was like oh here we are mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i feel like <laughs> if you like accidentally walked into like if you were like in the capitol the building and like accidentally walked into the senate you would get tackled yeah, yeah, totally. And I literally, like, we just, we just, like, walked into the, it was a Sunday, so obviously it was closed, do you know what I mean? There wasn't mm-hmm. many people around. But, and we had special access to get into this wedding. But we did just walk in there, and I was like, here we are. You know, oh, here we are, pretty much. And I sat, and I sat on the speaker's chair, and then someone appeared and was like, you can't sit there. And I was like, oh, sorry about that. But, um, <laughs> you know, it didn't say, who the fuck are you in, like, the center, in the home of British democracy, you random stranger. You know, phone the police. He just was like, "Don't sit in that chair." I'm mm-hmm. sorry. I won't. <laughs> oh, terribly sorry, but uh, that terribly chair sorry. is not for sitting for you. Yes, yes, uh, yeah, exactly. You know, probably just flagrantly disobeyed some sort of ancient constitutional law by sitting in the chair. You know, I probably need to do like a funny handshake and mm-hmm. wave a dead cat over my left shoulder. <laughs> uh, you have to go make a ritual, ritual sacrifice at Stonehenge. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, slaughter a corgi, and yeah. then um, take a, then take the seat of the speaker. Um, uh, but yeah, it's true. I think there's a degree of truth to that. There's also like a weirdly more insidious thing in the UK where I think here, closed circuit television, mm-hmm. CCTV, as it's called, is far more prevalent 
you oh know, yeah so and in the u.s it's like it's literally everywhere here it's and, a um, it's a surveillance and it's state. A, yeah in that respect i think it genuinely is i don't feel very well informed on the details but you know there's a lot of journalism if you want to poke into that about british surveillance statisms that i think it's very pervasive in that respect but it's interesting because like when there's sometimes they're very severe crimes you, and it's interesting and then when the information gets released you just see how extraordinary it is in terms of tracking people like it's really mm-hmm. it's fucking nuts like you know when that guy that's the um the russian dude um sergey skirpel like a year ago or a year and a half ago was poisoned in salisbury do you remember that uh yeah the guy his, that was uh you yeah. know uh just happened was, to accidentally drink something that maybe had plutonium in it or polonium. no 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 that guy Litvinenko, and that was about 10 years ago, but he oh, was okay. the first one that happened here, but was, this was about a year and a half ago. So it was the second time Russia has just flagrantly tried to poison someone, you know, on British soil, someone they don't like. And this, this I thought that was occurrence. polonium too, because it's the only poison that is only made in Russia. Yes, it may be polonium again, actually. I'll be able to... Um, it was definitely like a very weird, specific... They were like, it's definitely a state state actor... Because that, that's how they knew it was Russia, because they're the only government that actually makes that. Yeah, it was... Um, it's like a calling I mean, card. Or like the Wikipedia. Exactly, it's almost like they wanted to be found out. Um, yeah. It was... The weapon was... There we are. It's actually an even weirder name. It's even weirder than that. Are you ready? Yes. The weapon is, a, is called A234. Ah. Oh, A234. It's a Novichok nerve agent, so it wasn't polonium. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Not a but shock. It, is it also uh, very specifically sp- made, specifically in, Russian, in the Rusky? Yeah, but um, but it was really interesting when they, you know, all the intelligence experts were just like, you know, these guys. They were like schoolboys because they were just their entire track was completely covered by CCTV, pretty much. Mm-hmm. It was just very interesting to see it when you saw it in the news because you're like, fucking hell, this is, it covers everything. There was like, there they were on the train, that they were getting off the station, that they were strolling down towards his house. You know, and for Skirpal and his daughter, they think they sprayed it onto his front doorknob, you know, this, of his front mm-hmm. door of his house. And, um, and then there was like, there's them walking back to the train, there's them getting on the train again, there's them leaving the station, there's them going back to the hotel in East London that they stayed. You know, it was like absolutely everything was covered. Here's them going into a you know, public restroom. It's like, wait a second. Yeah, yeah. What? Yeah, hang on a second. Yeah. And then there's them disappearing back to Russia. Uh, and they were like totally denied it, of course. You know, but, um, but yeah, in terms of the CCTV, sometimes, you know, these things happen and then you see the extent to which it's, it's trackable in the UK. You know, mm. I mentioned it because I think there's probably a slight part of that, which is, um, you know, uh, there's a degree to which... Um, Deters the people la- from... Uh... Yeah, uh, there's like a, is a deterrent level in terms of amount of police. For example, like 10 Downing Street, there's the big gates and you'll see one copper standing outside. And you're like, well, it's very underprotected. But of course, you know, there's like, like reams of invisible nonsense going on around there. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm sure if you try to vault the gates, about 50 people would turn up out of nowhere with big inflatable cocks and just beat you with them. <laughs> yeah, they're, uh, they're just like it's hiding just- in underneath uh like storm drains and stuff like that exactly yeah storm drain in they just as soon as someone oh i lost you big union jacks what'd you say uh i was just saying yeah from the 
huge big Union Jack shaped um, coloured inflatable cocks. Yep. So the British government must not Pound. like what we're talking about because it keeps cutting you out. We're being censored. And we're going to take a quick break while we figure this out. And we're back. Okay, so he's going to go back from. Uh, Howell that was, uh, pre was uh, taken out by. Uh, yeah, closed circuit television. Closed circuit television found him. It found him. And uh, how was your holiday? Speaking of closed circuit television. I don't know how that of snooping on my private business. Yes. Um, it was um, uh, yeah, it was very nice actually. I actually didn't do anything at all. I oh. literally, my brain had melted to such a degree from the amount of work I've been doing that I just took myself off to a sunny place and I just potted around and drank small coffees and small beers and read my book for a full sort of eight or nine days. Mm, mm, mm. That sounds nice. Yeah. That, what book were nice. you reading? Um, I was just reading this book called um, that I'm trying to turn into a TV show, so I'm not going to tell. Uh, maybe oh. I've already mentioned it. Have I mentioned it already? I don't think so. I'm not going to mention it then. Yeah. So we no can't have anybody, We can't have anybody it. jumping on the jumping the gun and getting a better, uh, you know, teleplay out there. No. Um, uh, not better. Obviously not better, but first, you know, sometimes first yeah. is. You gotta be careful of the intellectual copyright sometimes, man. Especially when the idea is as good as mine. Yes. Um, but I, uh, I was reading that and a couple of other things, but I just, I just really just sort of floated, and it was nice. Although like, going on holiday by yourself is a weird thing. It's kind of a great luxury because there are times, especially when it's not too hectic, that you feel like it's just me. It's just glorious. I don't have to answer to anything. Especially when there's stuff to look at. You know, I was just sort of floating about. Mm-hmm. But it's funny as soon as it's like an evening and there's other people being social and you're completely by yourself. Yeah. I definitely felt it's this weird mix that it can be this odd mix of like absolutely glorious and then suddenly like acute loneliness. Mm. Um, so I definitely had a few moments like that too. Yeah, that'll have, like when you get by, like when you let your brain slow down enough to like, uh, you know, get to the full relaxation state. Sometimes it can be, uh, especially if you're by yourself, it can be like, okay, well. Uh, yeah, uh, I've been with myself long enough now. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, exactly. And weird things arise, especially. I'll tell you the thing I really noticed, of course, is that you, it was like being by yourself and then in a place where you, you're just letting yourself chill out, essentially. It's just, I've really noticed like phone addiction things more than ever, mm-hmm. actually. How in those moments of feeling like, oh, I'm feeling a bit lonelier, that I would just like plow into my phone to sort of keep that feeling at bay. You know. Yep. And you found yourself when you didn't have your phone just staring at your palm, trying to see if swiping uh up and down. Yeah, desperately. Desperately. <laughs> like why won't it change? Why won't it give me different information? I would just like swipe I actually would just swipe at the world, you know. Yeah. I'd look at things and be just like try and swipe them away. You know, I'd swipe right if I liked them. I'd be looking yeah. at like an antique Renaissance church and I'd be like, This is beautiful and then I'd just swipe my hand to the right. Or you go up and du- double tap it like it's Instagram, like yeah, I double liked. tap it. I mean, like, I like I like this fresco. Tap tap. Liked. Small <laughs> man, like no. I'd be like, oh come on, man. I'm just saying and, uh, I like it. Saying I like it, man. Come on, I'm giving you. A, I'm, I'm following you here. I'm following this. <laughs> I'm following this fresco. 
you go over there and you're like, uh, excuse me, uh, I double tapped this painting and no heart came up below it. So I just, I don't know if it's broken or what's going on, but I just wanted just you to know. At this, just looking by this extraordinary picture by Velasquez or whatever his name is. I'm just looking at this incredible etching by Goya and I really feel that it could do with a different sort of tint or shade. Yeah. You know, I feel like it hasn't quite got the right filter. Have you, have you tried putting a crema uh, filter on that one? Because I feel like that yeah, would be I, nice. I yeah, tried, I tried. I did a lot of, I, I saw a lot of like very beautiful religious art and I basically kept on feeling like, you know, it's good. And they can't really, I was like, this thing really needs an Amaro or a Petua. <laughs> to lift it into, the, into, into an acceptable state. I mean, know? I'd even do with an X-Pro too, but, you know, you got to yeah. do what you got to do. Have I mean, I definitely gave them a few double tap likes, but you had to be careful. You know, one time I did it and I like, nearly broke the canvas. Yeah. But, you know, so I could get away with it when they had glass over the front, you know. Yeah, you got to give, it's got to be a light touch. Also, yeah. Have they already invented this? And if they haven't, we need to go back and erase this part because, you know, like you said, intellectual property, etc. But sunglasses or regular glasses that turn the world into uh, like different filtered, uh, like they they are basically Instagram filters, but glasses. Is that a thing already? I I feel like it should be if it's not. Yeah, it definitely should be, shouldn't it? A bit like, I think maybe Google Glass did that. Yeah, but I, I'm just saying, just like not nothing fancy, no technology. Just like this tint is tinted in the same way that you know Perpetua is tinted. This is uh, Inkwell. <laughs> I wish to see the world in Perpetua. Yeah. So you'd have to maybe if the, just the frames and they have like slots on the top of them, and you can pull out different lenses, and you can keep like. Like you would a, a sleeve of like camera filters that you would screw onto the end of, or actually that's it. You just have like their circle glasses with threading on the inside of them, and you yeah. screw in and out different filters. If you're like, uh, I see the world only now through the filter of Hudson. Yeah, and what if you put one in one eye and a different one in the other eye? That would be weird. Yeah, that would be weird. That would be confusing. I think it's probably fair to say. Can you make glasses that make the world look black and white? Is that a possibility? Um, we need we need a physicist on here or a, a an engineer or something. I guess a physicist would a, a color physicist, a colorist. Yes, a colorist. Yeah, uh, maybe they would be able to know. Ways. I mean, that's color blindness, right? In some respects. Uh, yeah, I mean, you can wear, there's definitely glasses or things that you can put on to make you, I know there's ones that help colorblind people see better, um, but like true colorblindness isn't like black and white. Like I want something where I put it on, like I put glasses on and all of a sudden now it's like, I love Lucy. You know what I mean? I want to (laughs) see, I want to see it in monochrome. Yeah. Just the world. Yeah, just to see what it's like, you know. I want to know what it was like back, uh, you know, back when the world was in black and white. We're talking Batman. about a, you know, uh, what's that? <laughs> Pleasantville is that the uh, the thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What about that? You know. So I didn't have any of that, but I definitely did have some artistic interactions where obviously I was showing my pleasure and my displeasure. Uh huh. It turns out though, in some of the ancient churches of southern Spain, you cannot swipe left. 
it doesn't go anywhere. You know, it's mm. just the, the crucifixion remains staring you in the face. Can't, can't I see, I, I tell you what, I did see an extraordinary piece of art. It was just random. I saw it. I went to this one church and I saw this quite a famous painting, apparently. But it was of the. It was just bananas. It was of the big man, you know, the big JC on the cross. Like so mm. many of those pictures in that part of the world, you know. But um, but he his feet were standing in a big vat of grapes. Huh. And yeah, and the big man, the big God dude. The, the beardy big man from the clouds was sit, standing next to the vat of grapes and he was turning this like press. So it's of course a wine press, this big vat, right? Yes. So God, God's turning the vat, the, the press turner and um, the dove of peace, the Holy Christ himself is standing in his cross. He's crucified, but he's standing on a load of grapes. Yes. It was very peculiar. And then his wounds, the stigmatas, right? Uh-huh. Uh, and I'm not kidding you, this was painted in the mid-16th century, is bleeding wine. Mm -hmm. It was an extraordinarily weird painting. You know, I mean, genuinely quite peculiar. I, I mean, I know... it's taking, like, the transubstantiation yes, exactly. uh, very yes, literally. Yeah, but quite literally. That's what I mean. I was like, you know, you look at it and you're like, well, this is obviously about the transubstantiation. But it was just like super literal it's like here's god is the man who turns the wine press as jesus is the man who presses on the grapes and then literally it turns his blood into wine i mean it was just a really you know i don't mean it's a, no mockery it was just like a really one of those pieces of art that you just see and you're like wow is this actually for real did someone just put this in here as a sort of weird gag you know it was, it was just quite so literal and peculiar and everything else was very sort of divine. <laughs> you yeah, know? like no metaphor. It's not, it's just <laughs> like, this isn't a meta, like this is a metaphor, like, or like yeah. it's the most intense, just like, yeah, this is literally it. It's like, <laughs> if one of his arms was a loaf drinking. of bread. Yeah, totally. yeah, yeah. Extraordinary. Extraordinary. But yeah, there was a lot of that, actually. I mean, not a lot of, there was a lot of wine drinking. Did a lot of wine drinking, but not in that capacity. Although you know, it mm -hmm. depends on your belief system, I guess. But um, I uh, well, you didn't did, have a Catholic priest uh, bless the wine to turn it into I did, I did, the blood. I did not. Yeah, so I did, I did not. Um, I did go to a couple of little. You didn't have any transubstantial wine. I did not. I did not transubstantiate anything on my. I guess transubstantiated my would be, but I like transubstantial. Yeah, so yeah, I had I had a couple of. <laughs> I had some transubstantial nights drinking some very nice vino tinto. Um, the glorious thing about Southern Europe, of course, is like this is one of the major differences. We do another little comparative comment. You know, I, for some of our American listeners who maybe have not ventured to the Southern European Me? countries, that they, they do not. Um, You're talking like to one of them right now. Of, yeah, a, yeah. Uh, an that, American you know, who's never ventured like, ventured to Southern Europe. Just the difference, like you can get a nice glass of wine for like a euro fifty, two euros, two euros fifty. No, it's just 50. those things. You know, it's like getting a nice glass of wine in a bar in New York. It's going to be like they're like that'll be fifteen bucks. Yep, <laughs> you know, easily. easily. Give, and give that's me, just or, for you know, like a medium nice gla glass of wine. Yeah, like a medium nice glass of wine. You're, you know, you're looking at eighteen and up for like an actual. Yeah. This is good wine wine yeah but it's so interesting there because it's like at the end of the day any time of day but you know particularly at the end of the day 
people come out in Spain for it's called the P A S E O the Paseo or mm-hmm. the passage. You know, at the end of the day, like people come out. I think that's what it's called. Maybe wrong, but um, you know, everyone goes out together. It's really nice. It's another thing you really notice there. It's same in Italy, same in Portugal. I think, you know, everyone, all ages are out. So it's like old people, mums, dads, little kids, teenagers. You know, student, everyone, everyone's just out having a little snack and a drink. Mm-hmm. You know, underage drinking, but just in a very civil. You know, you see a little teenagers sitting at their table having a little cheeky small beer because all the beers are small as well, and the glasses of wine are pretty nice size, normal size. All the people are small. Everyone's small. Drinking small things, and um, but it's all just you know you can get a glass of really amazing Rioja for like, I'll be honest, I'll be honest, Firescape listeners, two dollars, two dollars, wow, and no one, and also no one's expecting a tip. I mean, when I say expecting on purpose, you can give them a tip, you know, if you want, but like mm-hmm. it's not a tip culture, so they just they just two bucks. Yep. Um, but. Yeah, I mean, it's just kind of when you spend time in the States, I'm banging the same drum. It's just, literally, it's just like, it just seems bananas. I think back to being in New York and like buying a glass of wine and like giving someone literally 20 euros, you know. I said that to a couple of people I met. I said, I was just living in New York recently. But this glass of wine will probably cost me about 20 euros, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> 15 euros. And the people were just like slapping their thighs with laughter like, or the shock. They were like, what? Oh, yeah. Yeah. All really the time, man. That's the, uh, we just had our sixth anniversary this weekend. Did you? Yeah. Oh, congrats. Heartiest congrats. So we went to a uh, an Italian establishment in the East Village called Il Buco. Il Buco. Uh, which was very good. Uh, very, very good. But the wine was not uh, two, two euros. It was. Uh, it was definitely not. I can tell you it wasn't even a euro fifty. <laughs> it was a. Uh, it was a lot. It was mucho euros. Mucho. You know, and what's interesting is like, there's a difference if you're just going to get really specific about it. Like, you know, you get a little beer, mm-hmm. you know, a little pequeña cerveza, you know, for like a euro, euro fifty. Wow. And then normal That's size. In Bama. Yeah, or like a normal size cerveza, which you know, a little little glass of beer. So not like it's not never as big as a pint. It's probably a half pint size. You know. Will be like two or something like that. If that, but sometimes that's still Euro fifty. You know, it's. Mm -hmm. But the really interesting thing is that the wine is so good and just so reasonable. You know, it's just like I think it's something to do with. You know, they just consider it's just part of. It's not like a luxury. It's just considered to be part of life. I think. Mm -hmm. You know. Now you can get a uh, a PBR Tall Boy at a lot of places in Birmingham for about two or three bucks. Yeah, man. That's sixteen ounces. You know, that's a, that's a full. It's not a full on British pint, but it's a pint in America. Yeah, PBR, and you know, that's you know, if we're talking about people giving space and time for the important things in the culture. Yeah, you that's can. Got to be going to be affordable and reasonable. Two weekends ago, I was in Knoxville, Tennessee, and you can go to a place called Preservation Pub, and they have a thing called the Pubby Buddy, and the Pubby Buddy <laughs> is a tall a PBR tall boy, and a shot of whiskey for three dollars. Amazing. Now, if I'm going to be honest, in New York, you can get something pretty similar to that called the All American, which is at uh, Rudy's. Um, what, uh, Rudy's on Sixth Ave? Yeah, Rudy's. Or on, uh, it's on a Hell's, Kitchen. Hell's Kitchen, yeah. Oh, yeah, I uh, love that. Rudy's, uh, you can get you a uh, uh, a 16-ounce pour of Rudy's Blonde 
and mm. uh, a shot of whiskey for five dollars. It's called the All American. Yeah. Yeah, I think that is. I think Rudy's is one of the best like value dive bars left in the city. You can also pay. get a hot dog with that for free. Yeah, free hot dog. Every free drink is comes with a hot dog if if you would like it. The best thing about Rudy's for any of our listeners who are thinking about a little dive bar called in New York City is that I think obviously you get the free hot dogs and yep. it's on um, it's on ninth hour between forty fifth and forty sixth if I remember correctly. Yes, yeah, and, ninth, uh, you're right, ninth. And it has a big inflatable pig out the front. Not an inflatable cock, sadly, but a big inflatable pig. Uh, and, uh, that's not, it's not inflatable. That's a that's hard shell. That's a oh, yeah, that's a, a permanent shell. pig. Yeah, big big, big sort it's of pig sculpture, permanent. if you will. Yes, pig yeah, art installation. Uh, exactly. Um, a pig installation. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, um, a, tra- a transubstantial pig. And it, uh, it, but if you go into Rudy's, the best thing about going in, if you can get in there, it's great for like a like a really fun day. Is there's obviously there's the free hot dog and then you can get the, the beer and the shop for like five bucks. You get really messed up. Then they have these insane seats which are like red tape. Mm-hmm. So seats are covered in red gaffer tape, like yep. you know, wiped down red gaffer tape. But the best seating is at, at the end of the bar by the window. They have these two random stadium seats, like you're watching a baseball game. Yes, like a, so a, a above weird the bar, little bleacher. You, you, yeah, you have a little mini bleacher, a little stadium seat mini bleacher, so you can sit up there and look at the whole bar. <laughs> Cheer on the other drinkers. I tell you what, I had a full, I have had a couple of nights in Rudy's where I've just sat in that seat all night long, and just sat there with a friend and just ate. I must have got one night. I think we got through about twenty hot dogs. I mean, it was pretty disgusting. Oh yeah, so it's so I've seen be like, give me another hot dog. <laughs> sure. It's such a good place for after. Um, like if I'm, I've been uh, taking some improv classes at UCB, and then yeah. if afterwards I'll go to the UCB Hell's Kitchen Theater to watch a show. So it's kind of like halfway in between uh, where the UCB like training mm. center is on Eighth Avenue and like uh, Upper Thirties, something like that. I think it's like Eighth Avenue and Thirty Eighth yeah. or something. And then the UCB Theater, which is on Forty Second Street, and like. 10th so it's like only a few blocks north of it's it's really relatively close by so you know this none of this yeah, really matters i'll just go there for like you know a happy hour time like from you know five or like 100%. from like six to eight uh and just you know down a couple beers a couple hot dogs have a good old but time. do you want to hear a, a weird here's a little bit of, of weird new york like hell's kitchen history that i discovered about rudy's so one of my oldest friends in the city who i met in 2008 you might have met him, see bob his name is james lawson big shout out to the very wonderful james lawson um, i but never have he has, but shout out james. he um, he has lived um pete stephanie met him, i think but uh anyway but james has lived in hell's kitchen for over 30 years so you know he was there back in the day when it was not a desirable place to live yes and um and he moved there with his then partner, Perry, um, his boyfriend, and uh, at the time, you know, so they moved there together and got. A, he has this beautiful old school uh, railroad apartment there, you know, old school railroad, like really beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, on you know, but uh, so I've known James Jimbo for maybe you know ten years now, and um, often when I'm back to the city, I often stay with him before I'll go anywhere else other than the states or it was before i was had my place in fort green i stayed with him for a while and i've done a few times so he's like an old friend of mine but one time when i was crashing at james's 
I went to Rudy's with, with a friend, and I came back, and uh, and he said, where have you been? I said, oh, I went to Rudy's. He went, what? I went, you know, to Rudy's on 9th. And he looked at me like I was mad. He went, you went to Rudy's? And I went, yeah, it's not that bad. You know, get the free hot dog. Stadium seating is awesome. Up in the bleachers. <laughs> and, I, and, I, <laughs> and James was looking at me like, he was like, you do know what that bar is? And I went, yeah, it's a dive bar. And he went, and he went, no. He went, oh, he said, maybe it's changed. I said, yeah, I think it probably has changed because it's just a regular dive bar and has been for some time. But, um, and he went, oh, he went, oh, shit. He said, I have, literally haven't been there for more than, he said, probably 20 years. And uh, he said, well, I've always seen it, but I just presumed it was what it was. And I was like, well, what was it? Because <laughs> I, I, I suspect it's not what you're about to say it is anymore. And he went, and he just memorably said to me, he went, yeah, Rudy's, as far as I thought, is a Wrinkley's bar. He went, it's a Wrinkley's bar. And I went, a Wrinkley's bar? He went, yeah, a Wrinkley's bar. And I was like, what's a Wrinkley's bar? It sounds like a chocolate bar. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I was like, well, you're going to chow down on a Wrinkley, but quite literally, but he's really at, like in a different way, if you see what I mean. Can I, like, take, a, can I take a stab at it? Yeah. yeah, take a stab, yeah. Is is it a, a bar for, for older uh, men and people who are interested in older men. That is exactly what a Wrinkley's bar is. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Kind of. You know. It kind of uh, writes itself. That is the nice it's thing about uh, gay culture is they have very specific like. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They're like you know nicknames for like different parts of the culture are like pretty yeah, obviously very... to understand. You're like, oh, I get it. Okay. Cool. Wrinkley's bears bar. There we go. Yeah, bears and cubs and all that stuff and Otters. muscle men. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's really great. And uh, but uh, Twinks, I think is another one. Uh, but yeah, Wrinkley's Bar. So a Wrinkley's Bar is where you go if you're into older gay men. You go to a Wrinkley's Bar to to, to, seek, to seek one out. And Rudy's used to be a Wrinkley's Bar, according to James, because it was a big because Hell's Kitchen still is a gay neighbourhood actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's now populated by you know a lot of like, upwardly mobile gay men who have you know some money to spend. Um, you know, James says the, the neighbours just changed radically because when he moved there, it was, you know, very rough working class. There was, a, you know, there was a lot of crime. It's where, like, these mm-hmm. sort of Irish gangsters used to hang out. You know, the Westies, I think they were called, and um, all that stuff. Um, you know, when all but, the, uh, the like, 70s and 80s Marvel <laughs> comics were set in Hell's Kitchen, you know, and it was uh, mm. littered with mafiosos and, uh, and the like. And when, yeah. you know... Uh, when Times Square was a a seedy, uh, you know, relatively uh, porn filled uh, yeah. brothel sphere, and all the and there were still docks on the far end of the west side. Then you know, at that point, over on the water, you know, it was I think from tenth onwards, it was just a sort of a no go zone. It's very industrial and just quite dangerous. But, um, but yeah, but James was saying that when he first moved in, you know, we should get him on the show actually because he's got some stories, um, some amazing old New York stories. We must do that. So I don't want to prefigure, but he did say some, you know, he said that it was the old adage is that at that time in New York City, the first people who would move into a neighborhood, um, he said, was often the gay community because, you know, they were still outcast in many respects back then, you know, over 30, 40 years ago in aspects. And of course, they still are in many respects nowadays. But, mm-hmm. um, but not as much in New York, obviously, you know. But, um, Although I do find that that's a very interesting, uh, you know, uh, 
like you know obviously casting no no aspersions on like uh on your friend or anything i just think or I, I think it's it's more it's less so even like something coming from the gay community and more more so the way that like we talk about it like the first people to move into a neighborhood are the gay community like do you mean the first white people to move into a place <laughs> or the gay community because oh, yeah, like, no, like nobody was living there before <laughs> No, I mean it was very. I mean, yeah, it's an interesting comment. I mean, that's very. I think that's from quite a modern perspective because at the time it was very white, you know, yeah. um, Hell's Kitchen. It was very Irish, yeah. And um, but I think it all in all in large proportion, you know, at the time. And um, or the and first, also, the first like non-poor people to move into a play, to a, a da- more dangerous place. Yes, yes, I think that's true in terms of gentrification. Yeah, um, yeah, and I think to be fair to James, actually, like I think he very much meant it in that terms as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I mean I don't. And, uh, and I'm, that's like not a. Uh, that's just more of a thing that I think of uh, as far as like gentrification is concerned. Uh, like that's always a. That that seems to be a trend, like a trend around, uh, you know, not just a New York City thing. Like that's kind of true 100%. of like uh, the Highland Park area in Birmingham that's- and Crestwood and all that stuff. The first kind of like, you know, besides old people and poorer people that moved into you know that were in after like the white flight and like this rise yeah, of suburbia yeah, yeah. the first like resettlers of you know from suburbia or from like certain uh a certain like social class to go into these other neighborhoods w- was the homosexual community so i think it's it is interesting yeah, how they kind of are like yeah. on the forefront of although i uh, think not even justification yeah, just like the forefront of like true. you know Whatever. Although I think at the time it was like I think I'm just trying to we should get him on to talk about it. But from what I can remember, I think it was because it was very poor that part of the city and also dangerous. You know, I think there was that weird confluence of in terms of the way James has talked about it with the gay community. Then that you know, it was a lot of artists as well. You know, people who just also did not have much money. You know, yeah. so it wasn't like a few people going in to sort of up the rents. That that just didn't no, happen. No, 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 no. You know, that's yeah. not. Well, or it didn't have the effect for a very long time, certainly, you know. It was more about, I think, a sense of, um, or just from what I can remember what you said, you know, more a sense of, like, outs- you know, sort of outsiderness, where you could be that sense of outsider. Yeah, I don't be, mean to, I'm like, sort of accepted, you know, paint um, all these things in, like, a very simple, I'm, I'm more, so, not, I, I think, think I'm getting to something, I'm kind of just, like, verbally processing, or I'm just yeah. kind of, like, you know, chin wagon on this. Uh, I think it's more of, like, a, uh you know the gay community and like the artist community move into a place and make it cool and so people who want to buy their way into being cool end up moving into a place that's kind of like you know the the story of the west village and the story of like a lot of things of course yeah and he was saying that zach that is that it's sort of moved that i think he was talking about how it moved down manhattan you know Mm -hmm. in terms of hell's kitchen to chelsea to the west village and um but it was, uh, but also it's interesting to talk about it in these ways because it sort of reflects how certain communities change and shift over time in terms of how they're perceived. So in New York now, you know, the gay communities in, you would probably argue very well integrated, you know, and uh, it's a very liberal city. But it maybe it didn't feel like that 30 years ago, you oh, know. Sure. And, you know what I mean? So it we our way, feel like that our way, our way of thinking ago. about different communities and what level of, you know. And also, it's very specific to place, isn't it? In that respect, um, in terms of how you think about those things and how it changes. Um, but Hell's Kitchen now—I mean, you know—it's like a rich man's playground, like most of them have, mm-hmm. in that way. 
when I first went there about 10 years ago, I went, it wasn't obviously like it was over 10 years ago now, but um, there were still little places that were like the old, you could get hints of the old Hell's Kitchen, particularly bars on the edge of like on 11th Ave. You'd come across some, some of those like old school like Irish Manhattan bars. Mm. None of which, none of which exist anymore. But I went to them. I went to a few of them, and it was like walking into, I wouldn't say a Scorsese movie because they were Irish. You know, I'm trying to think. Have you ever seen some of those like sort of Irish gangster New York movies in the early '90s? Sean Penn was in a few of them. Gary yeah. Oldman, State of Grace is one of them, I think. Mm. Um, and uh, recently, there've been a couple with Liam Neeson. Not so great, but um, <laughs> mm. kind of trying. But it still sort of exists. I think it's all just out. Um, I think it's just shifted out to the outer boroughs all that stuff, but that used to be where it happened in Manhattan, I think. Yeah, it's all out in, you know, random neighborhoods in Brooklyn. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Because, like, the Irish Arts Center is in Hell's Kitchen. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, you know, the legacy of that um, community there is still present, but not but not, I think, the actual community anymore. Not in the old school way where you walk into, like, a pub and you see someone hand somebody a you know manila envelope full of cash and you're like what's going on here but (laughs) (laughs) protection money type situation yeah that stuff just doesn't exist anymore in manhattan i don't think does it or maybe it does and we just don't know but um i'm sure it does somewhere but it just not really you know what i mean like not in any uh I, i don't know like i'm sure it does i'm sure it does in some places if you ever walk around and see some place where you're like how does that place still exist um, yeah, the only place I can give immediately that I really came across that feels like you actually walk into a time warp is the Diamond District, which is on um, in Midtown on like between forty seven forty eighth, I think, around around Lex or something. It's like one block and we can talk about that another time in great length. I spent a couple of days there, but it's an extraordinary it is like a time warp, you know, you go back and it's all these people flinging gems around and like shady weird back rooms. It's very mm-hmm. weird. <laughs> Chinatown Chinatown is still has still kind of managed to hang on to its yeah. you know uniqueness. Uh yeah, I, it still feels like a neighborhood, doesn't it, in some yeah. funny way. Well and so, all the places like it just doesn't feel like everything is uh it doesn't feel like it's mostly new stuff. You know what I mean? Like you can kinda get like off of the uh you know, on streets and not avenues, but like Walking down like the avenues in Hell's Kitchen, like eight, ninth, and tenth, it's kind of mm. like you could be in any part of Midtown. You know, it's not like other than Rudy's and like a few old school places. They're all just kind of like, you know, new. You can tell like new restaurant that was in an old bar that is like has a, a forgettable menu that's going to go out of business in six months. And then across the street is a subway and a Starbucks and a Dunkin' Donuts. You know, it's like kind of the, uh, and then like random, uh, New York, uh, kind of gift center that sells lots of I heart NY, uh, trinkets. Do they sell sell a big inflatable cock though? That's the question. With iHeart New York on it, yes. With iHeart New York. Yeah, Come on, Neil. Catch up, Neil. Catch yeah. up. Yeah. Someone needs to hand one of those to de Blasio or something. I don't know. <laughs> oh, man. Hard to say. Uh, is hey, How does it feel? Is it fall? Is fall arrived? Has fall arrived to uh, the United Kingdom? Yeah, it's starting to arrive. I think, um, yeah. 
the rain is falling quite literally today. What is what are the like the what is going on in fall in the UK? Like what is is there something because like you know in I feel like America has a or at least I have a solid idea of like what autumn activities are in America. You know we have Thanksgiving, we have yeah we don't have we have like all of these things that are very specifically fall oriented like america is a pretty fall centric country i feel like as far as entertainment and stuff it it feels much more i think one of my favorite times in new york city is that you know the holiday season leading up to november i think is a great month in new york it's one of october november i think are two really beautiful months in the city Mm -hmm. for me uh often like a massive wanker often by myself thinking that the um sort of city fits the season in a way, you know, there's that mad bustling energy to it. And the autumn in that part of the world is very sort of swirling and, you know, and tumbling and, and I kind of feel like it feels in tune, you know, mm. uh, but I think the autumn in the UK is pretty similar, but it doesn't have quite the drama of the Northeastern American fall in terms of just the, um, in terms of just the climate, you know, that everything's a bit bigger. Mm-hmm. in that respect and but the autumn it definitely lasts here you know we don't have that sort of late summer thing that goes on for so long in the states you know mm-hmm. it, it kind of lands and drifts into winter over a longer so it feels like a proper season here definitely but i mean is there like a cultural oh culturally speaking like, um, what's going on in the fall is it rugby season rugby. is it we obviously have halloween and that's a thing mm-hmm. yeah rugby kicks off you have the autumn internationals but not the big um but the you know uh, and the football kicks off again. That kicks off in the summer, really. But you know the soccer that is mm-hmm. um, is getting going. But there's, there's that, of course, the same in the states. Of course, like culturally speaking, on the broader sense, there's that always that sense of going back to school, really, in September. Uh-huh. And um, and because the summer doesn't really extend too, we don't get too much of an Indian summer in the UK. I mean, sometimes do. It just depends, right? But there's not like a real cultural sense of it. Normally, by mid-September, things are sort of shifting. You know, you still get warm days that like we have had, but there's always that sense of like returning to work, culturally speaking, in those months as well. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, I always feel like it's more of a new year than new year to me. Yeah, I I, I kind of it's agree. Nice, it's, it's, logically, uh, I feel of it as a new start sort of a set much more than I do January. Uh, I think I definitely agree with that. Because it, you know, yeah, it's all, you know, you're conditioned with it for throughout school. And it's just kind of like a resetting of, yeah. you know, even if you work, like summer is a little different as far as because, you know, because people have kids and kids are in school and then out of school and stuff. There's like a, there's a different yeah, I, flavor to it. Like, you know, yeah, you're summer. more likely to go on vacation in summer, et cetera, yeah. you know, for like a week rather than uh, for like a long weekend. And then you're more likely to you know there's summer fridays especially in new york and there's all these things uh and the fall definitely feels like okay this is the start of the next year even though you know it's not the new year or whatever but it does feel like all right from here forward i'm kind of like marking this as a new thing especially for me as like a college football fan because it's like oh this is the start of the new college football season and then yeah yeah exactly uh yeah i definitely feel like that and i feel in a weird way like i just delivered this huge amount of work but i got super stuck in it all the summer in a weird, there's a weird part of me that feels like had i finished it in mid-september you know and then had the clean slate felt 
kind of almost like a part of my mind was, <laughs> you know, you're only going to do it so you can finish it and then begin with something new in September because that's mm. how it's, you know, the seasons of things worked. But I would have much preferred to have been able to have a proper summer holiday. But, um, but it doesn't sort of surprise me that I've sort of done it. And now I feel like I do genuinely at the moment feel like I'm looking towards a new year now rather than I would do in January. But, um, but I'm a wintry, I'm, a, I'm an autumnal soul. I'm a wintry soul. I'm very pleased to, um, to be heading towards the colder months. Mm-hmm. I'm excited. I, I want to really enjoy the fall. I've been soaking up as, I mean, you know, I get hot easily, but I'm trying to remember how cold I was this past year. And I'm trying to enjoy the warmth as long as I possibly can. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, and then I'm also going to enjoy the the cold months. I just got a new jacket that I'm excited to wear. So ready for it, man. I'm ready Amen. for it. Yeah. You got to buckle, got to dig deep, dig down, dig deep. How's Wales doing in, uh, in rugby? Oh yeah. We should end on this actually just yeah. to, we should just Wales celebrate, transubstantiate the fact that Wales absolutely smashed the Australians, which was a significant result. Oh, that is a significant result. Yeah, really big result actually, because it actually puts us top of the group, and then we're heading towards not having to face either New Zealand or England in the playoffs. We'd have France and Argentina if we finish top of the group, so that's really significant in terms of processing further into the final. Are the probably um, uh, cops so far? Like the Irish beat the um, the, Japan, the Japanese beat the Irish, and the and the oh, Irish wow. were best in the world, man. You know, in terms of world rankings, I think. Wow. Yeah, that All was right. significant. So if you're American listeners, if you're just interested in seeing a really rapturous sporting event, even if you know nothing about it, so if you can go onto YouTube and type in Ireland versus Japan World Cup and just watch it, because what's amazing about it is just, you know, the Japanese crowd, because rugby came relatively recently to Japan and the great scheme of things, you know, mm-hmm. they're really quite into it. And, um, and they, did a, they had a massive upset in the last World Cup where they beat South Africa and all the Japanese fans. It was in a random stadium in like, the south of the UK. And it was this incredible thing to see all these like Japanese fans just going nuts, you know, in this random UK stadium. You know, like, old Japanese men like weeping. You know, it was going tremendous. And That's uh, awesome. yeah, it was just awesome. You know, it was just one of those things, like one of those sporting moments. And um, and then, uh, but seeing the crowd, the Japanese crowd in Japan, when it, then beating Ireland is just splendid. That's um, that's like I was gonna say uh. Oh, J- Japan gets really into different sports because, like, there's a big, there's a growing. Actually, I don't know if it's college football or if like semi-professional. Um, but there's, there's, you know, American football is getting bigger in Japan. Um, they have all these like really fun team names and stuff like that. Also, love that they have mascots for their towns. I will say for any American listeners that were paying attention, uh, this actually like brings it around. Uh, we uh, did not do so well in uh, the Rugby World Cup. We got destroyed by England. I don't know if you saw that result, Hal, but I think no. we lost like 30-something to zero. Wowza. It was not uh, not pretty. But that caused Piers Morgan to tweet, as he is wont to do, uh, that he he's, always, he's always known that uh, he's always – he said it confirms his uh, long-held suspicions that – if you were to take uh, English rugby rugby players and NFL players and remove all the pads and stuff and play either sport, 
that the rugby players would w- would crush them both times and i was in just a deluge of people dunking on him like constantly just being like what what are you talking about man like that's the dumbest first of all the sports are completely different uh yeah, yeah. i don't think that the re- like I, th- I think that the rugby match the you know the rugby team probably wins but i don't think it's not non-competitive uh i don't think that there's a, a fast enough time to teach rugby players how to play football it's the most yeah, complicated sport that has ever been so, invented. Just, they're, just, <laughs> they're just so wildly different. Yeah. They, would, they wouldn't get a playoff, not because they're not athletically talented, just because they would false start every time or they would do something illegal or not have enough people lined up on the line of scrimmage. Like, it's a very it, – it has tons and tons and tons of rules uh, that you can't a, just learn human, in one week. He's a human troll, though, that man. You know, oh, yeah. So. He likes saying things that are... Yeah, he just does it to provoke, you know. Yep. That's what he said it for. But um, well, I would agree with that about American football being that complicated. You know, it's just it's a stats game and rugby is not, you know, in many respects, as well as being a physical game. Mm-hmm. Um, they're certainly just totally different animals. Yeah, but it's for just... another day. For another day. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Well, on that note, uh, thanks for listening to us, guys. We will be back with you next week. Hopefully we'll uh, either hire somebody to replace Peter after we fired him, or maybe he'll get the job back. I don't know. We'll see how we're feeling. <laughs> uh, and if you're in New York City, uh, I believe Thursday night is the opening for Brandy, Peter's wife's art show that they've been working on. Uh, art installation, not really a show. It's a, It's going to be up. So uh, if you're in New York or if you're traveling to New York anytime soon, Go down to the World Trade Center and uh, go to Liberty Park and look up in the sky and you'll see some rosemary hanging. It's pretty cool. Um, yeah. Uh, I have been Coulter. You can reach us at Firescape Pod on all the social medias. FireScapePod at gmail.com. You can find me at Coulter Levi on all of the social medias and you can find Howell nowhere. <laughs> you can Venmo Howell. Uh, whatever you feel like you want to give him five cents he'll, he'll appreciate it you want to give him a, a euro 50 for a nice glass of wine you know do it thanks for listening y'all Rule. Rule. bye yeah what's wrong with the beer we got I mean, the beer we got drank pretty good, don't it? The days are getting shorter, and you can feel it in the air. Yes, it's that time of year. Pumpkin is finally back at Dunkin'. It's the cozy you've been craving all summer long, now in your cup at Dunkin'. Pick up all of your pumpkin favorites, like the signature pumpkin spice ice latte, or a pumpkin iced coffee, and bakery items like pumpkin donuts and muffins. Sip into something comfortable to celebrate the start of cozy season. Use the Dunkin' app for contactless ordering. America runs on Duncan. Right now, switch your family to T-Mobile and get four lines for $25 a line with AutoPay and 5G access included on America's largest 5G network. So don't wait. Get unlimited and nationwide 5G access for the whole family for just $25 a line. Visit a T-Mobile store or T-Mobile.com today. Plus taxes and fees. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using over 50 gigs a month due to data prioritization. Video at 480p. Unlimited while on our network. Qualifying credit and 4 plus lines required. Capable device required for 5G. Coverage not available in some areas. Some uses may require certain features. See t